Jam Jar Jill podcast and I am Jill of jamjarjill.com. I am a eco-influencer. I am a virtual assistant. I freelance and run my own virtual assistant business. I'm also a mum to four-year-old twin boys. I'm married and I live in rural Bedfordshire in the UK. I have done a few episodes here and there, but this is my first go at doing official, proper podcasting, and I'm so excited to invite my first guest, Lisa Dumas, all the way from California. So this is really super exciting to have you on. I met Lisa through um, the Instagram community a few years back. I think we sort of followed each other, and then I saw that Lisa was doing a podcast herself, which was all around um, yoga and Ayurveda, and um, which is the holistic theory behind yoga. And she was doing it with her friend Amy Pruitt uh, at the time. And they were talking about how they were, you know, yoga therapists and trained therapists themselves, um, but they're also wives, mothers, friends. And I just loved the format of your podcast completely because it was honestly just every episode just laid out like two best friends talking on the phone and you felt like you were just part of that conversation and it was so beautifully done that I was hooked instantly at that point in time I'd been practicing yoga myself since I was 15 so like 20 years but I hadn't kind of really scratched the surface. I was kind of doing practice maybe once a week or something like that. And then um, when I had children five years ago, my anxiety, my insomnia kind of really kicked off due to that. And I've been through a really big journey with that as a result. And I think from being on medication, which I was prescribed initially, and going through that whole experience and then managing to get off it and go down the more holistic route. I think I opened my mind and my heart to a lot more of the holistic side of things. So I could just really relate to the story which Lisa had of having her own challenges with anxiety and turning that into a learning experience and then further to that, a teaching experience. And I just have so much respect for you. And doing that, I think that's a beautiful thing to do with life challenges. And it's something which I'm aiming to do myself. I think it's really exciting how the whole discussion about mental health has opened up so much in recent years. And people are talking about it because I've just personally found, I don't know if you're the same, that the more I tell people about my struggles with anxiety, my struggles with insomnia, they're like, me too. And it kind of gets into like the whole me too movement obviously is something different but actually I think it's very relevant to the mental health space as well and I think it just normalizes it all so much more I mean for case of example you know anxiety was never named in my family we were always very much oh we're a family of warriors you're a bit of a worry what you know that was the kind of description which went around a lot And I find, you know, it's just really interesting that since I'm being more honest, even within, you know, my closest rounds of my family about it, then, you know, they then open up to me and say, oh, you know, I really had that anxiety experience or I was really worried about it. I had this physical reaction and, you know, you realize that actually panic attacks are not 
uncommon and there's a huge spectrum of them and it's like experience in different ways and I personally have experienced um two types myself in the past one where I felt like I couldn't breathe which is very scary and that was one which was kind of publicized I think at the time um and that was a few like years ago when I was like struggling to find work and didn't know what was going to happen about buying a house and stuff like that. And I just went into like this panic that I was going to have to move back in with my parents. And I did the whole breathing into a paper bag thing <laughs> to calm myself down. Um, but then I had another experience and I've had similar ones since then as well, where it was actually when we just didn't know what was going to go on with the pandemic and I was still at work and my boys were around my mum's house. And it was just at that cusp in the UK when it was like, we didn't know if businesses were closing down. We didn't know if we were all gonna get sent home. We didn't know if the schools were gonna get sent home, but we weren't gonna get sent home. And like, how the hell were we gonna deal with childcare? And I think there's so much up in the air. Um, and I just had this experience and I actually went to a yoga class soon afterwards and described it. And I felt like I had a weight on my chest, like it was a physical mm -hmm. and I couldn't shift. Like I thought it was indigestion and then it wouldn't go away. And I honestly felt like, oh, my God, it's like something happening to my heart here. Like I was mm -hmm. like really getting to the point where I was quite concerned and yeah, and, and like I was in a meeting situation and people kept saying, you know, are you okay? And I was like, I don't think I am actually. And basically I ended up going out of the meeting and driving to my mum's. And as soon as I saw my boys, I it just disappeared like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I explained it in this yoga like circle I was in. And someone who actually worked on a mental health hotline, she was like, yeah, that was a panic attack. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh. And she was like, was it like there was an elephant on your chest? And I was like, yeah, that that is the way I'd probably describe that. So, I mean, have you experienced how has it manifested for you when you've experienced that? Oh, well, sharing. yeah, no, <laughs> um, you said so many beautiful things there, Jill. So first of all, thank you so much for having me share this conversation with you what you touched on about how we keep it secret at first, especially if we haven't learned a lot about anxiety or why we have panic attacks, especially if we haven't had a lot of people share with us the reality of anxiety um, and how it can manifest, then we can feel like something is essentially wrong with us. And we all do see our life through that specific lens anyway. And sometimes it can just um, be more confirmation that we are somehow bad or broken. And so our natural inclination is to then conceal that and hide that and keep it a secret. And I think there's probably evolutionary reasons for that. You know, we were um, tribal people once upon a time and we lived in smaller groups and we, we may not have wanted to um, instinctually show our quote unquote weaknesses, but Mm -hmm. What we're learning now is that it's a spectrum and mm -hmm. as soon as we do start to share as, as soon as we start to speak our truth, then I think it is calming for us because mm -hmm. we recognize that not only are we not bad or broken, but we're normal. There are millions and millions of adults in the U.S. alone that are struggling. And so it is one of the most common 
um, challenges that people face. And so I just think Mm -hmm. it's part of being human. And I think that if we can look at it as a state, a passing state that is part of being human, just like every other state we find ourselves in, that in itself can be calming. And then as soon as we start to talk and we start to bring it out into the open, then I feel that we are empowering ourselves because then we start to open up to information. Because when we're keeping it secret, we're often keeping it secret to ourselves as well. And mm-hmm. I'm what I'm hearing for you is similar to what it was for me is it was just so scary um, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want it to happen again. So not only did I keep it a secret, but Mm -hmm. I also tried not to think about it myself. And we know that whenever we're shoving something down that is Mm -hmm. right there at the surface wanting to be seen. I mean, that's a really interesting thing about like, it's almost like to me, my experience was like panic attack kind of comes out of me and I can't, like you can't control it anymore because you mm-hmm. that's what you've been doing. You've been trying to manage your feelings and trying to push them down or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I think sometimes it's like you're a bottle of fizzy pop or something and and then you just suddenly go, you know, and that can happen with anger, that can happen with crying, that can happen with panic attacks, you know, it can manifest in different ways. So it's it's interesting. Well, better out than in. And so to sort of take us back when it comes to anxiety, you know, this is something that can be manifesting for a very long time in our nervous system. Yoga therapy sees it as a bit of a disorder um, of the nervous system. But what we do know about anxiety, because really there's still a lot of mysteries about panic attacks, to be honest with you. We know that they are genetic. We know that they can they can happen because of certain uh, aspects of our lifestyle that may be aggravating and imbalanced, like issues with sleep or maybe mineral deficiencies, certainly hormones, different big shifts in our life. You know, you mentioned becoming a mom, you mentioned big moves, times of uncertainty that we are all sharing all around the globe. Mm -hmm. That is a very natural time for our nervous systems to be more in that fight, flight, freeze, um, fawn, side of things, because we're all very vigilant right now. You know, our bodies are created in order to keep us safe and protected. And so, and our nervous systems are all about detecting our surroundings for danger. Mm -hmm. So we have just been inundated with so Mm -hmm. much to, to truly be afraid of. And there is a healthy way to look at fear. You know, fear has kept us alive, right? It has, it has kept us looking out for um, true threat. But in the society that we live in now, it's so easy to see threat everywhere, including even in our inbox, including in our social media. And that is just a lot for our poor systems. And so if we're already somebody who has a tendency towards worry, you know, this is just something that has been a part of us. I can certainly speak to that. I mm-hmm. I remember for a long time, just based on family dynamics and um, situations that happened when I was going to school that caused me to really question myself, to question my, my worth and um, my lovableness, you know, all of this. And so okay. it had me kind of sitting on the edge of my seat, as I like to say, for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I certainly had that first trigger 
Mm-hmm. And you asked, you asked me what it was like for me. So I think that I think that there had been a lot of cause for imbalances. There had been a lot of different situations that were sort of um, eating away at my sense of self and my personal power. So a lot of different dynamics that I can see now. Of course, I didn't know that then. Of course, we don't learn for a really long time about the, the way of the mind. We don't learn for a long time that the thoughts that we have about ourselves are simply habits that we learn along the way. So, you know, not having any of that information then going through what I did. And then I was in radio in my former life. And at that time, I mean, I'm 49 now. So this was in all through my early 20s. And at that time, it was and maybe it still is, but it was incredibly stressful um, career where Mm -hmm. you're sort of live on the air. Mm-hmm. So there's a performance aspect, but there's this other aspect where you are getting feedback from people who are in managerial roles in your life. And that feedback is really about you as a personality. You right. know, it, it's not like about how you're acting. It's it's about you. And mm-hmm. just on what I already came from around authority figures, those interactions, um, were actually quite harmful for me and and mm-hmm. really had me lose any shred of confidence that I had because I was a very confident child and mm-hmm. but just different things just happened to kind of erode that confidence until I really didn't have any left. And then I was coping with that with not the greatest lifestyle choices in my early 20s. And um, all of that just and all of that just culminated into what you're talking about for both ways. So for me, yes, I felt like something was wrong with my heart. Um, I felt like I was having a heart attack or a stroke mm-hmm. the first time mm-hmm. that panic attack happened. Isn't it? it really yeah. is. And I also um, couldn't breathe. And so mm-hmm. what that is, and, and what I say to my clients is the first step is really to empower yourself with information because that can feel so scary. And then you start to feel like this prisoner trapped in this ticking time bomb of a body. And then our body becomes scary to us. And then we can make choices like I did that really cut off our connection to our body. But yeah. what panic attack is, is that is what it feels like if you were seriously in danger and your body is giving you that rush of energy, right? So you're shaking and you're sweating and you're, you're getting, you're, you're, you're feeling temperature differences and your heart is pounding a mile a minute to give you the strength to run. But because we're terrified of the feeling of a panic attack, we're, we're not running. We're, we're stock still, we're experiencing it. We are afraid of ourselves. Absolutely. And, and, and the instinct is actually to run from that feeling um, is to, so you don't have to deal with it, but well, actually, fact, if we were to physically, <laughs> if we were to physically let our bodies really move in appropriate yeah. ways, we actually could help ourselves, but because we're usually yeah. very shocked and surprised, we're, mm. we, we usually would just look for a place to escape. So yes, we yeah. have the sense of wanting to run, but we are really just hiding because then we have all of these different thoughts of, oh my God, I'm going to pass out. I'm going to freak out. What will everybody think? We have all of those thoughts. And then that just adds to the cycle. And then what turns maybe that first panic attack into an anxiety disorder is because then we start to fear if it's going to happen again. And 
for me, that took over my life because I would start to ruminate on when was I going to have a panic attack again? Was it going to be on the subway? Was it going to be on air? Was it going to be when I was out for dinner with my friends? Was it going to be in the movie theater? So I started to make choices and skip out on life because I was too afraid of that to happen and just stay home, keep myself safe. Um, I used alcohol at the time to really, to, to, to numb it, (laughs) feeling safe. Exactly. Because I didn't know what was happening to me. And there was a, a a part of me that was too afraid to know. And it wasn't until I was really, um, I got to the point where, okay, I need to, to learn what's happening here. And also there's a little bit of, um, Um, sort of exposure therapy that I think happened for me and happens for a lot of people is once we have a few episodes, we start to realize, oh, okay, well, I'm not dying. And I I am able to feel calm after this. But I do, I do suggest to people, do get yourself checked out. You know, there are a lot of different things to check out to make sure that there are not imbalances that you can tend to. Um, And then of course, there are many things that we can do along the way. And I know we'll get into that in this conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. And um, I mean, there's there's so many things I want to touch on from what you said. And mm-hmm. um, one thing which I did want to say is um, how I relate to your story. And I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but I um, studied media, um, media production myself. And my dream used to be that I wanted to be a TV presenter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then did a media degree and then volunteered um, at um, BBC radio station when I was like at uni and then ran my own hospital radio show. So mm-hmm. I did I did have some experience in that space, but then I feel like either no one told me or I wasn't listening. It's hard to know when you look back at your sort of late teens, early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, but that um, basically the option in the UK is that you would have to move to one of the big cities in order to actually make it happen to work in broadcasting. And equally so, you'd probably have to work on an absolute pittance salary mm-hmm. and probably live with your parents and probably commute to like said town and being part of a horrible rush hour and all those things and that's not something which I wanted for my life at all and mm-hmm. I sort of met my husband before I went to uni and my head I mean in this way it all gets confusing doesn't it because then you're like oh I've got to get married got to sail down got to follow that path <laughs> and then you're like oh but you know that doesn't all slot in with that so I kind of um ended up in sort of like the marketing space and stuff like that but what's um really nice is that as I develop my own brand I'm kind of getting more back into this broadcasting space the point which I wanted to raise around all this as well is that what I feel like I relate to you on as well is like how we both come across as quite extrovert people and people might like maybe label us as extroverts but actually we're very sensitive on the inside and I and that's how I feel like you are too. It's not bravado, it's just a love of communication. There was actually what's really wonderful about the clients who I'm like finding to work with in the virtual assistant space, because my goal is to work with people in the wellness or eco space, um, ideally. And one of the clients who I work with, I kind of had a bit of a moment where I was panicking about, I can't even remember what it was now. 
oh it was in a, I was in a joint meeting and I was chattering away um and I sent her a voice note afterwards and I was like god I've always been labeled as a chatterbox you know I'm really sorry if I was talking too much I felt like I was talking too much blah 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 and she wrote back and you know she's a little bit older and wiser than me and but such a wonderful mentor as well and she said Do you know what that is just what I can't remember the word she used now but the, the kind of message you've been sold throughout your whole life you're a chatterbox you're a chatterbox Jill chats too much but she said you have the option to turn that around and you love communication I can tell that you love communication so actually that's positive she said she's been told her whole life oh she's Dolly Daydream She's like little daydreamer, like, and people always talk that down as being, and she's like, do you know what? Like, she's like in her mid fifties now. And she's like, I am never going to stop dreaming. I absolutely love dreaming. And I'm always going to look for the next thing and the next thing. And I own that. That's part of who I am now. And I was like, it just blew my mind <laughs> because like my whole life I'd seen it as such a negative oh Jill you talk too much mm-hmm. and I've never like joined that up with like you love communicating it it's was beautiful crazy. there's there's usually wonderful ways that we can reframe and that's actually how we can change our brain because the thoughts mm-hmm. that we're having as you mentioned they are habits. We're going to think the same thoughts over and over and over unless we can interrupt them. And so when we have somebody that we admire um, give us something new to think about, it can be a real game changer because then our brain's like a computer and it'll latch onto that thought and build on that thought that might be a lot more useful for you. And I want to speak to what you were talking about, about the dissonance between what we see on the outside and what's really going on. I mean, that could not be more important right now. And for me, I've almost always felt like there are these two tracks at play. And it sounds like this is the same for you, where the reality is for many uh, of the years of my life is there was already always the fear of the next panic attack or freak out or am I going to faint in the background? But then there was a part of me that felt motivated and inspired and and wanted to be useful and and wanted to achieve certain things in the different directions that I've gone. And it's almost like that part of me has just been that bit stronger mm. than the part of me that is warning me that it's something awful is going to happen to me in the midst of it. That's so, so beautiful. And, and, so then, beautiful. I, <laughs> well, and then I had um, a teacher once say something in a way that helped me. So in a, in a very similar situation where you had, where somebody said something that maybe was quite minor, but it changes a lot of things because I, when I, over the last 10 years, as I've been going to all of these different trainings, because I've really been studying about how um, yoga, yoga therapy, meditation helps people to soothe their anxious minds and bodies, you know, same thing, mind body. Uh, And I felt like in order to teach it, I had to feel completely confident and not at all nervous anymore. I felt like I wouldn't be healed unless it was completely gone. And somebody said to me, you know, that may always be there. A certain level of nervousness, fear, anxiousness may always be there. But the difference will be that you can say, okay, I see you. I see you 
you know, worried habit, anxious habit. I see you and you don't have to worry. You know, I'm safe and I'm okay now. Mm-hmm. Because a, a lot of these things that become imbalanced started for a reason. Mm. They, they started in order to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. But then we find as we grow up that we don't need those old ways of being anymore. And in fact, they might be holding us back. They might be dimming our potential, which is the worst thing about anxiety and how and the messages that we get that it's a weakness and that we have to hide because there are so many people that are living smaller lives and are dimming their potential yeah. and using all of their energy in order to try to just live a day, get through a day to mm-hmm. go to work and seem half normal. I mean, it takes a lot of energy to try to push through. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the, the big thing that I teach and others teach and what we know now is there's got to be a certain level of softness and compassion towards it. And you may have heard me say this, Jill, but I really now, as you said at the beginning, I feel grateful that I had to be led towards all of these tools because they've helped me in so many different ways, not only to feel more grounded and to get on the other side of an anxiety disorder. But these are tools that I think are just so important for anybody, whether they've had a panic attack or not, because we all need to learn how uh, we are not our thoughts. And we we all need to learn that there's so much of what makes up our actions and our thoughts that are in our unconscious that we don't even know that we believe. And so now I see an episode like a panic attack or feeling very anxious. Now I see that as sort of this messenger that just invites us to look a little deeper and look a little more kindly towards ourselves and towards others. We are the only ones that can understand our inner landscape Mm. and so we are also the only ones that can take responsibility for it. And there are a lot of ways that we can do that. That's so interesting. I mean, what you were saying about um, accepting that it was part of the picture, I just went straight back. I think you've read this book too. Have you read Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And it just really, uh, it always rings true with me. Do you remember the bit where um, she she talks about how fear you're in the car, but you're not in the driver's seat anymore? That was the part, that was really the only part of that book that really stuck with me. I thought that was a brilliant way. And and that's a real therapeutic tool to have a visualization. So it was a time where fear is in the car with you, but fear doesn't get to be the driver. Fear gets to be in the backseat. And that is a real therapeutic tool. You know, once you do other things in order to balance is you can. Except it's there, it's part of the picture. But yeah. it's not, you're not allowed, you're not going to control me anymore, you know, that kind of thing. But I remember as well, because I actually, I always loved the film of Eat, Pray, Love, but it was only in very recent times that I listened to the book of it. And and again, when she's in Italy, when she first arrives there and she talks about anxiety and depression coming to her and how, oh, hello, old friends, you know, and yes. like. Uh, and I just here to show me. a beautiful way of describing it. It's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, you're here. I'm accepting you're here. I'm mm-hmm. going to take a few days, you know. And I mean, she's such an online mentor for me. I love Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that just really made me think of that. But I just think there's just so much 
that we can do and I very much feel about you know all the challenges which I've had you know these are teaching opportunities for me as well and learning what you were saying about anxiety and how you felt about um anxiety attacks and feeling not in control of it and that's like because I've only had like a handful of them I can't that's not kind of how I feel about that but I can definitely relate to it from the insomnia perspective because for me insomnia seems to come in rhythms and I don't always know what my trigger is and that's what I find I don't know if you have any advice around that at all because that's something which I really struggle with is when it happens but there doesn't seem to be an obvious reason because it's one thing with both insomnia and anxiety when you can pinpoint an obvious reason like hey we're going on holiday I'm panicking about forgetting to pack something like I can rationalize that and it's far more easier to talk yourself down than it just being like I'm just living my life it's a regular week why have I suddenly been hit around the head with chronic insomnia and now I can't survive the rest of the week because I haven't slept all night and I feel like I'm being a terrible mom and I'm yelling all the time and all these things and my patience is like big <laughs> and uh, you know I just feel like hell I feel like I've got a cloud over me and I, yeah. I don't and then my body gets seems to prefer to get into the bad patterns and the good patterns as well bad night then it's going to be three bad nights and oh I'm yeah. awake again at three and why <laughs> you know everything so. can become cycles yeah why don't we start to get into some some practical skills now and thank you so much for sharing that with me and I know that sleep issues can be so frustrating and it is a cycle because if we don't have a great sleep then we we are really sort of adding to the stress around that, around the importance of a great sleep. So one thing I'll say, and my my current teacher, my current yoga therapy teacher, Brant Pasalakwa, you know, he also asks people to really take the pressure off of themselves when it comes to sleep. And as long as we're having two sleep cycles, we're okay. Sometimes we need less sleep. Sometimes we need more sleep. And yes, the brain loves to come up with reasons as to why we feel this way. And sometimes even that comes off as pressure and extra energy mm -hmm. that we don't need to use. But if you think about it, if over time we're feeling very vigilant and if our nervous system has been in that sympathetic side, so the side where there's a lot of the fight or flight, if our breathing has been more shallow, so we're not um, having the time to do a lot of the practices that turn on the relaxation response, which I'll talk about soon here, then it would make sense that it would seemingly out of nowhere, we have the sensations associated with anxiety. But it really isn't. It's a buildup and it has to go somewhere. Mm. Basically, our body does need to discharge excess stress. And that's why mo movement, such as yoga, because uh, if it is an appropriate yoga experience for you, and I would say now, you know, if you're working with somebody like a yoga therapist who knows your body and knows your constitution and know which styles of movements will serve you, movement is really helping our muscles and our, our body to release the tension that our body is holding just mm -hmm. because of day-to-day -day life. Because as soon as we have a worry and a tension in our mind, 
Or further than that, as soon as we are away from the present moment, which is basically all the time, it's incredibly challenging to stay present, there is a certain level of tension in the body. And so it does take movement in order to release that. And also when we're moving in appropriate ways, it is not depleting, then these feel-good chemicals are released in our bodies as well, which helps us to relax. So both for anxiety reduction and for sleep, it's important to have enough movement so that you feel that your breath regulates a little bit because usually throughout the day when we're rushing around from task to task, when we're confronted with um, texts and emails and social media posts that we didn't expect, when we're distracted, if we were to check in with our breathing, our breathing would typically be shallow. And sometimes just the act of breathing only into the chest while our bellies remain tense. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that in itself is giving us that low grade um, input to the fight or flight system. So that in itself is keeping us in a stress response kind of constantly. And we're not dipping into a relaxation response enough because this modern life is just not set up so that we have Mm -hmm. times of real productive rest, which is something that I'm, I offer to my clients. Like it doesn't have to be an hour. It can be Mm -hmm. 20 minutes here and there, just weave through your day better to rest productively than to just, you know, completely collapse and slide towards burnout. So movement is incredibly helpful because what Mm -hmm. movement will do is it will naturally help us to breathe in a way that is slower and deeper hopefully more into the abdomen, hopefully more complete breaths, full inhalations, long exhalations. And that's what I appreciated about yoga. And that's why it helped me so much. You know, whether you're interested in yoga or not, uh, it doesn't matter. But how can you move so that your breath starts to slow? Because as soon as our breath slows down, that is sending a message to our body that all is well and we are safe. So just imagine You know, if something really terrifying was happening to you, you wouldn't be taking really long exhalations. Mm. So you want to be doing opposite things than you would do if there was real danger present. So Mm. as soon as the breath starts to slow down, that's when the body can relaxes. That's when the body can relax. And that's what we that's what we need more of, especially to go to sleep. And Mm. so if we wake up in the middle of the night, and especially if we have stories around insomnia, right away where our, our stress response is on. Yeah, then- like I'll get this, when I get into that pattern, what I hate is I'll I'll get that dropping, that dread feeling. Yes. And like as soon as I, I wake up and I feel like I'm such a light sleeper, like if I have a bad dream and quite often they're anxiety related dreams about, you know, friendships of years ago or something, mm-hmm. or I quite often have like, there's a reoccurring thing of, um, you know, there's an event and suddenly it's about to happen, but I don't have a dress. Or I always used to have one of like, I'm pregnant and then I have a baby in my arms and I don't have anything, you know? And and actually that's all anxiety as well, isn't it? Um, which well, dreams is- are really, dreams are really interesting. And yeah. there's so, again, so much mystery around dreams, but there, there does seem to be, you know, some evidence pointing towards that's where we process our day-to-day events and dreams are very symbolic. And so we can mm-hmm. actually learn a lot from our dreams, but, um, you know, not to take them literally, but certainly if our dream itself is creating 
anxiety in us, the dreamer, then of course we're going to wake up and our body is having that experience. And so in a state of stress and anxiety, it is challenging to get to sleep, but there are things that we can do. That's when what I would then say to you, you know, if, if I were working with you, I would say it's time to let go of trying to get back to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's, it's time to just say, okay, all I need to really do is rest. Yeah. Now, tensing and releasing, like just sort mm-hmm. of moving through the body and relaxing in that way, in that um, that sort of meth- method of tensing an area of the body and then relaxing it, mm-hmm. that will start like that will start to regulate the breath that will start to mm-hmm. relax the body because again it's a form of movement where you're engaging parts of your body and then you're letting those parts of your body relax that will then over time start to regulate breath again and slow down mm-hmm. breath again i don't start with breath with everybody because we typically do need to move we need to mm-hmm. move symptoms of anxiety first in order to have that slower breath. And then I can't say enough about yoga nidra. It is my favorite tool. Jill, I don't know if you've practiced any of mine. um, Yeah, I I love yoga nidra. And the other one I love is I love gong baths. And so my go-to, if I absolutely, if I have chronic insomnia, I will come down and I'll listen to, there's a YouTube uh, like three hour gong bath. which is literally this monk guy just playing gongs and I always like I would like them and just lie in that I mean what's interesting as well and what I think the key to the holistic side of things in some respects um having been on the medication and like never ever again in my personal opinion is I don't want to go there again and 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 plus you know I was basically on sedatives which wasn't you know, A, you're only supposed to be on those very short term, and I was on them for 18 months, and B, you know, you're being sedated, you're not actually sleeping, so it's like I never had, even when I was taking half a pill of Zopoclone, it literally, I was feeling groggy every single morning, mm-hmm. so um, that, I, I know that wasn't right for my body and it was actually when I um, joined some insomnia support groups on on Facebook because I find for me healing through community is always the the best way which I can find to learn and stuff so um, and I think I just had my eyes open to people who had been on them for 20 years and people were talking about how it was potentially causing Alzheimer's and all these sorts of scary things and I thought oh my goodness and I think that's the scary thing with sleep as well is when you're so aware of um, how important sleep is from the holistic perspective is that you feel like you're breaking yourself further if you're struggling. Um, I'd like to say I would like to say, just because I don't want to forget this point, I think it can be problematic. Sometimes information that gets out there about the importance Mm -hmm. of sleep can be really problematic because it adds that extra layer of Of pressure. pressure. We we instinctually know that. And Mm -hmm. I think that if we could give ourselves grace and let ourselves know that in certain times in our life, there will be time for more sleep. And in certain times of our life, there will be time for less. And the other beautiful thing about yoga nidra is we can see it as an insurance policy. So, okay, I'm I'm awake right now. Tomorrow, I'm going to take 25 minutes and I'm going to lie down and I'm going to do this 
rejuvenating, yeah. um, restorative practice that is going to give me some of this back. Yeah. So uh, that's a big message that I have for, for all of it, for the, this entire topic, for worries, yeah. for anxiousness, for depression, and for sleep, is how yeah. can we at first give, our, give ourselves grace and take yeah. out the extra additional pressure of somehow being bad, somehow doing something wrong, making life mm. worse for us, and and the mom guilt. Then, 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 because mm. of, because of our inability to sleep, now we are just horrific people. Yeah, and, yeah. and if left interrupted, that's the story that will cycle. And that mm-hmm. is that those thoughts in themselves are, are going to are are going to arouse the stress response. Yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it is this constant cycle. Yeah. So it's just, it's over time, we start to hear new thoughts, you know, in the yeah. podcast space. That's why I love listening to podcasts because mm-hmm. I only have this brain of mine that I carry around every day and I only have the thoughts that are accessible to me. And so when I hear something when I hear somebody else have an interesting thought, or when I do my research and I find out the reasons for things, you know, that, that yeah. opens up new perspectives. And it's but- so important. It's so interesting. I think um, there's, there's just so much around all this. I think um, what I was going to say uh, around the holistic space is a, not expecting the holistic approach to fix you it's more kind of a way of managing things in different ways that's my experience of it I mean to be fair the medicated route as well also doesn't fix you there's a place for everything there's a place for everything and um also there's uh, I think we can also have a lot of grace for ourselves around the idea of healing because Mm -hmm. um i think you know boy that term has been overused now but Mm -hmm. healing is is kind of a a lifelong endeavor and and i i don't know if it's something that is ever going to be perfect just like this Mm -hmm. word balance you know will we ever be perfectly balanced and Mm -hmm. I, i think that the striving towards perfection or perfect health or radiant health or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I I think we can only answer that for ourselves, but to compare ourselves or to feel that we're never, ever going to measure up is only going to make things worse. And Mm -hmm. I I think we have a lot of the answers within ourselves. If we would trust ourselves to look Mm -hmm. inside and just ask, okay, well, what does, what does vitality mean to me? What is, Mm -hmm. what is, um, energy mean to me. And I think it's also important to remember, and I had an acupuncturist tell me this, is we're not going to feel happy all the time. We're not going to feel energetic all the time. We're not going to feel rested all the time. Sometimes we're going to feel low. Sometimes we're going to feel tired. Nothing in nature blooms all year. No, no. Look at nature. And, And how much better would it feel to, oh, I felt, I feel... I feel so bad. What What is the reason for this? Well, it's because mm-hmm. of this, because we're always going to be able to find reasons why we're bad and wrong. But what yeah. about, oh, I my energy is lower today. So what can I do not to change anything? But what can yeah. I do to accept that? What can yeah. I do, what can I do to, to treat myself as I would somebody that was my beloved? Yeah. 
I love all the piece which um, you and Amy have talked around um, sort of inner child stuff and talking to your inner child as well. And I think that's really important stuff as well. I think the thing with like the holistic side as well as accepting that it's not necessarily going to fix you, but also that different things work different days. And, and I think as you go down this sort of holistic journey, you gain more and more knowledge and more and more tools along the way and I kind of call it my toolbox yes and, and, and then I'm just like I'm going to try this one and go try that one and sometimes this one works and I think that's what's always appealed to me about yoga as well is that the beautiful thing about it is there's something for everyone for every stage sometimes you feel more energetic sometimes you just want to rest sometimes you just want to do meditation some you know I find since having children all the yin yoga, all the restorative stuff is just like completely up my street. And I'm I'm not wanting to do anything fast anymore because I need that as nurturing time. But what, what's interesting when you talked about like moving your body as well, I, I, some piece of advice, which I actually got from an occupational therapist at work, mm-hmm. was like the one thing that she said, well, you're not necessarily doing is aerobic activity. And she thought like that actual those chemicals which are released in that and I kind of go through phases where I go okay yeah I'm gonna get I'm gonna get back into Zumba and I'll do it for like a week (laughs) or like go for regular walks and stuff and then I get it it's one of those things which is you know a work in progress habit let's call it um in that it, I kind of do it when I'm on one and I'm like, right, this week I'm going to do all the good stuff. <laughs> and then the next week I'm exhausted or something else happens or life gets in the way. Yeah. Um, and But I just wanted to know what your opinion was around, you know, the aerobic activity side and, and, and whether that's important that that is part of the picture in terms of what chemicals it naturally releases in the body. Yes. Um, uh, first of all, I think that we need to be on to ourselves when we are telling ourselves that a certain workout routine is good. And if we don't do it, then we're bad because it's a lot harder to get ourselves to move. Movement is medicine. This does not mean that we need to deplete ourselves. This doesn't mean that it's no pain, no gain. It doesn't mean that we have to go until we're tired. In fact, it's likely more therapeutic. And this is depending on our constitution. But if we feel that we are very distracted, um, anxiety ridden, worrier kind of person, then it can be better to move in a way where you're still comfortable where you can breathe fully and completely. So, I mean, going for a walk is incredible. I I am partial to specific yoga sequences that would fit that individual. Moving rhythmically with your breath Mm. is something that's huge for anxiety. And that is, yeah, I mean, for for me, I would teach uh, certain not challenging yoga sequences where people had their feet on the ground, where they were moving arms and they're moving mm. parts of their body in time with their breath. And they were really focused on moving in time with breath because not mm. only are you getting all the benefits of moving, but then your mind is able to focus like on this. the present moment because mm-hmm. you talk about having a toolbox. And while that is so helpful, in order to know what tool is necessary for the moment, We need Mm -hmm. to learn to be able to be present. And that Mm -hmm. in itself is something that's very challenging to people who would consider themselves a worrier because Mm -hmm. 
anytime we're thinking about what we're going to say, what we need to do, what we should the responsibility do. responsibility becomes overwhelming in the decision making. And you're like, well, oh, do I need this right now? Or do I need that? And then you end up like spiraling yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, one, and, one thing which I found really helpful though, which, um, you know, I have this wonderful yoga teacher who has absolutely mastered the Zoom um, yoga. And I, I, I go to her like every other week and she does um, women's wellness yoga. Um, so her specialism is all around the menopause and hormones and everything. And she's taught me so much, so knowledgeable. But one thing which she does quite often at the beginning of the class, we kind of do a sharing circle and then we dance it out. And it's literally for one song, but it's so amazing. Dancing is all Just like for one song. And it's like all these women, all different life stages, all different challenges. You know, some have elderly parents they're dealing with, some have young children, some haven't got children yet. And they're all like, you know, dancing and with proper like dancing it out, you know, wiggling and jiggling. And it just feels ageless it feels beautiful it feels oh it's just so wonderful I love there you go you have something that works for you that and you could probably always put on a song that you love I know I always feel better when I have music on in the house and for people who really can't imagine dancing even just taking yourself somewhere where you can shake where you can just like shake your hands and shake your arms and stamp around a little bit I I do that with children in fact, you know, get them yeah. to just wiggle, 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 yeah. and then tell them to and feel. I love like, how know. just like they just go for it. I love for, like there's nothing that brings me more joy than dancing in the kitchen with my boys. It's yeah. literally the best thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the thing is sometimes it's. I mean, there's someone else who I I followed over time. Have you heard of Rachel Hollis? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and so she she always talks about it of move your body for 30 minutes a day. I don't care how, just move your body. Right. And I think that's a really great way of putting it. Yeah. Um, because everyone is different. And some people like walking, some people like running, some like there's a million different activities that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I never affiliated myself with any sort of competitive sports. You know, I never got in because I would always or in my head I would always lose you know come last in every race and that's you know horrible as someone who feels self-conscious anyway and then it was just like it seems like athletics in school it was like the five popular kids would kind of go first and then everyone else would lose and like by midway through high school we just gave up and we had like a a hill where we would sunbathe and then then those like five popular ones would like crack on and race around the athletics track but um yeah, yeah I mean that that sort of sport didn't uh, affiliate with me at all I I think that again you know I hope I don't know if this is the case in schools because there's still so much focus on you know being able to catch a ball being able to throw a ball which is an important life skills it is but I always felt like there should be the opportunity with physical education to have both sides and to have the opportunity for people to do that sort of competitive sports and racket sports and whatever, but also have the opportunity to do things like aerobics and yoga and dance. Oh, yeah. Let's not even go down the road of like the education system. I mean, not even that, but also learning about our emotions and learning about our Mm -hmm. thoughts. I mean, had we learned years ago 
that there are there are messages and emotions, but we don't have to be overwhelmed by them, that we can learn from them, but we don't have to be overtaken by them, that our thoughts are, are just habits and patterns and we can learn to watch them rather than react to them or identify ourselves based on what our brain is telling us. I mean, just because our brain is telling us this, that, and the other thing doesn't mean that we get to, we have to believe that. And, and then, and also kids learning how to be present. You know, some people might call that meditation. Some people will, will bristle at that term, but it's all about just learning how to be right here, right now. You know, this, this moment, the way that this air feels. We so need it. We so need like the kids to do it. I mean, I've got the kids to do like cosmic kids yoga when they were younger, but now, I mean, they'll rarely sit down and have the attention span for it. Um, but I do, I'm very aware with raising little boys as well that I want them to always open up about their feelings. Like when they panic or when they cry, the first thing I do when they fall over is I'll pick them up and I'll comfort them and I'll say, take a breath, mm-hmm. take a breath. And they both will do that. They'll go, <gasps> oh, no. And I'm just like, yes, just calm mm-hmm. yourself down because I am, um, you know, with one of my little boys, especially, he will get himself if he's if he's scared. Like we were at a party the other day, and a balloon popped in his face, and he lost it. Oh yeah, but he was crying, but he was just like he obviously was. He had a real fear response to it, and I literally took him out and into a completely separate room, and he was like, "I want daddy." mad and I was like no you're gonna take a minute and I literally had to like hold him in my arms like almost like crush cuddle him and just be like you need to breathe before we're leaving this room and eventually he listened to me and I felt such a sense of like thank you and it was so beautiful to watch him physically calm down in front of me well, a lot of that was physical touch as well. And I, I talk about this if possible when people are feeling anxious and, and nervous or if they feel like an anxiety attack is coming on to ask for help if you have somebody safe in your life and to get that physical touch. Again, if you talk about the feel good chemicals in the body, you know, that definitely would have helped your son just feeling held by somebody who you feel safe with. And I recently spoke about this on my own podcast talking about this idea of safety. And we just do not feel safe when we're feeling um, that we are struggling with panic. Um, there is a, there is a sense and that sense of doom that you're talking about. That's kind of the opposite of feeling safe, but our minds are very powerful. So even if we can cultivate the thought of somebody that we really feel safe with, that can help us feel more calm. But if we have somebody nearby who is a safe person for us and we can get Mm. that physical touch uh, that's that's a beautiful thing just leading on from like the whole like young children thing and I can't even remember where I read it but I read something um because obviously I've had my battles with anxiety since having children but then I read something which compared the toddler tantrum to an anxiety attack Mm. and how it's a wave which goes through them and I just related so much to that. And that completely changed how I handled, you know, when they have tantrums. And I think that's a really useful thing to have that comparison point. Well, look at the way that a, a toddler can then move. 
Look, mm. look at the way they can thrash about and expel that energy. Whereas as adults, mm. it might be coming on and we're in the boardroom. It might be coming on and we're in a Zoom meeting. We actually lay down and start going like Yeah, and, and so that just, that, that just compounds everything because then we want to hold it in and we, we tense against it, which, you know, when our body is, is wanting us to expel some of that energy. So yeah, it's, it's so hard being an adult and trying to fit in all the time. (laughs) There was an advert in the UK and um, I think it was about a cold prevention thing. It was a few years ago um, where like a toddler has a tantrum in the middle of a supermarket and then the mum just sort of side eyes him and then goes down on the floor and has a tantrum too and then just goes <laughs> but it was just so funny because you yeah. never see a parent do that you'd yeah. usually be like and and it breaks my heart when you see this but I do get why parents do it as well it's like you're embarrassing me stop doing that you know no. stop showing me up in public and all these mm-hmm. things yeah. whereas actually the best thing you can do is get down at their level, I think, at that moment and just say, you know, calm down, you need to, calm, you know, and but it's so difficult, isn't it? Because it's just like all these things, all these methods, you know, to one person, both as an adult and as a child, to one person, it could be therapeutic and helpful. And to another person, it could be judgmental, depending on what their filter is. You know, as I said those words out loud, you know, calm down. If someone told me to calm down when I was like in an emotional wreck state, I'd yeah. find that incredibly condescending. Yeah, I think being able but, to and oh, and listen, we're all doing the best that we can when it comes to parenting, and that's for sure. And there's a million things that I would go back and change now that I'm an empty nester. And yes, you know, I think we know now if we can remember in the moment is when our child is experiencing an emotion to first acknowledge that that emotion is there to just mm-hmm. your, you know, and let them know that they're seen. You're upset. You're afraid. You're, you know, and I wish mm-hmm. I could go back and again, like I said, mm-hmm. and do that just a little bit more often. But for all of us, kid or adult, to be acknowledged and to be seen, this mm-hmm. must be so hard for you. Yeah, one of the most powerful sentences is I see you, you know, I see that you're going through something. Tell me about it. You know, yeah, saying that sort, that sort of language is 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 really important. I think I do. Yeah. I do always try and, you know, get really down to their level because their level is a completely different. Level. You know, they're like whatever. They're down here. <laughs> I'm up here and I'm not particularly tall, but it's when I get down on my knees, which is about their height, that I realize, God, their, you know, their perspective and perception is entirely different from mine. And for me to go down and actually say, What are you feeling right now? Tell me. Tell me why you're angry. Tell me why you're upset. I want to understand. I think that's so. I hope that's helpful. That's what I try and do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all have different perspectives, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, the whole piece for me around, you know, having children because I felt like I it was the thing I was least prepared for. I was probably a bit more prepared for the physical side of things than I was for the mental side of things and how I just feel like I'm... Um, 
it sounds quite dramatic, but like I'm always now an open wound in a way. Like I just, I feel so vulnerable, but then at the same time, I feel like I have the best reason to work on myself and to be okay and, and have a reason for living in a way I didn't before them. Um, I can relate. And that's when I finally decided to get to really advocate for myself and my own mental health is the moment that I saw um, my daughter in the flesh. And that's when I, I said to her and to myself, okay, you know, I really need to get to the bottom of this for you. And of course, as, as parents, it is a very vulnerable place because um, throughout all of our relationships, including our relationships with our children, you know, we're so much that is already within us. So it's that unconscious piece that I was talking about earlier. A lot of the things that we believe, a lot of the things that we think are true, even though we may not realize, are triggered. And mm -hmm. so these aspects of ourselves are triggered as we are in relationship with our children. Mm -hmm. So it is, it is, um, one of the most difficult things, and it, and I'm only going to speak for myself here, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was I consider my experience with motherhood as a huge part of my practice because I would first, it's important to learn to be able to witness our reactions and our thoughts. And so I would start to notice these immediate reactions that I would have that I would never have expected that I would have at certain behaviors mm -hmm. or actions of mm. hers. And I, I would have to sit with that because it was about me. You know, my mm. reactions were always about me. And that's my favorite thing about this path that that first yoga class has led me on is this never ending desire for self-discovery and self-understanding because in all of our relationships or in the way that we relate with the world, mm -hmm. if we can start to listen to the reactions and the thoughts and the judgments and the observations that we're having to what we make good, to what we make bad, to what we make right, to what we make wrong, we need to get curious, you know, where did I learn that? Is that belief serving me? Do yeah. I, do I really think that, you know, fear, causes us to think thoughts and make choices that may not be as authentic with who we really are. And these practices for me, not only do they help to calm anxiousness and worry and depression and balance mental health, but if one so desires, it does help us to taste the more expansive version of who we are. And that's the part of us that feels more connected, more compassionate, and I just think that even if we are even in that place and don't say the right thing or don't speak at all, even if we're just in that place of love for ourselves, mm -hmm. for, for our child or for whoever we're in relationship with, you know, that is some of the most powerful things that you can give somebody. It's just your presence. Totally. I, I so, yeah, I so relate to all of that. I think that's beautiful. Really, really is. Um, I think. Um, I'm really interested actually because next week I'm finally going to try hypnotherapy for the first time. Interesting. Um, and it's something which 
I'm really interested in, like all the about around the piece which you were just saying about the stories which you tell yourself and you don't even realize they're there or where that belief system comes from. So I just, I've always found it fascinating, the thought of hypnotherapy, but I've actually got an opportunity to do it because one of my neighbors has recently trained. Um, and so he's, blessing offered me a free session because unfortunately it's just not affordable it's just so frustrating to me that um I mean you're probably from a different mindset with the American medical system but the NHS you know it's such a blessing in so many ways but they're very good in crises they're very good with um, very serious conditions like cancer or if you need an operation whatever what they're notoriously bad at is the preventative care and the holistic side of things and they're more likely to give you the band-aid approach or throw pills at you than they are to actually look at the whole picture of what's going on I don't know what your experience with the medical health system both and and if it's different in Canada to America as well I'd be interested to know as well but um to me unfortunately it's just not available to have hypnotherapy in the NHS you get talk therapy but you go along to it and you get assigned you know one therapist and and that's your choice and that's it and you know to me it's a, every experience with therapy is like it's it's very personal you have to really connect with that person and you don't really get the opportunity to find a personality who fits your personality in that scenario it's just like well we offered you therapy so that's it ticked tick that box kind of thing and I, I've always reached a point where I found a ceiling with it and I don't know what I'm talking about anymore and you kind of go along to a session and they're like how has your week been it's been okay thank you <laughs> and you just feel like you're giving robotic responses so um, I'm just so fascinated to see because I've heard from others that with hypnotherapy that you've almost managed to delve into a specific life event which has created that specific belief and you almost can rewrite it and I, I just find that absolutely amazing if that is possible. I do too and I have recommended it to certain people in my life and all I'll say to that is that yes systems are a challenge and to get the kind of care that people need is a challenge. And a yoga therapist, both in Canada and the US is unfortunately not covered as of yet. We're working on that because it is preventative. And I just see a yoga therapist as the perfect team player along with whether it's physical therapy, whether it's talk therapy, because we are talking about these techniques that include the body because we know, especially for anxiousness, well, we just know for mental health that we need movement, the appropriate movement for us to order to regulate breath, regulated breath, helps to regulate the mind. A lot of what we're talking about is just simple confusion of an unregulated mind because of breath patterns, because of movement patterns, because of what we've internalized, because of lifestyle, because of food. I mean, yes, it is all holistic. And that's why these different kinds of therapists having access to them is so important. And it, it does make me very sad that mm. certain people just will not have access towards um, certain therapies. And I hope that that changes yeah and it's a shame that it seems to me that you do still have the western eastern divide with that because if you go to asia you know you're likely to be treated with a holistic therapy first um and 
it's just like why are we still why are we still in that let's let's just wind up well um if you want to just do like where people can find you um and just oh, sure. yeah yes, yes. a nice way to sure thanks a lot jill um as a yoga therapist, I work privately with people over Zoom. And so people can find me at my website, lisadumasyoga.com. And what that looks like is during a first intake session, you know, I'll ask a lot of questions and I'll really get to know that person. And then that person will get really customized, individualized practices just for them. So as we've been talking about, they'll be able to build their own personal customized toolbox. And then I also have uh, an accessible and affordable membership site. This was something that I built during the pandemic, because I wanted to create like this stable um, therapeutic resource that people could use when they need it. Because just as we've been talking about, I've been looking for um, certain therapists for people that I love or for certain clients, and it has been hard to get help. So I wanted to make something really easy really affordable. It's called Warrior to Warrior Yoga Therapy. And you can find it through my website. And it's just a small fee every month, you have access to over 100 practices and tools and skills. And then I teach live um, once a week and live workshops once a month. And Jill, I'm going to make sure that I hook you up with that uh, Warrior to Warrior Yoga Therapy. So you can, you can try it out, you can share it with your community. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate your time. And I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. I'm very happy to have been asked. Um, thank you so much for asking me to share this conversation with you. And I wish you nothing but the best with this endeavor. Thank you. Mm -hmm.